You're on EducateForLife.com radio with Kevin Conover. And if you listen long enough, your faith will become... I'm tired of being conned. Don't worry, the con is over, Shay. We're now at DEFCON 1. Did you say carnivore or carnivore? Would you like to have a conversation with Kevin? Then call 800-243-9719. And now, here's your host, Kevin Conover. Bring your time and bring your shame. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website is educateforlife.org. Last Saturday, I had Dr. Robert Carter on the program, and we talked about the evidence from genetics for the existence of Adam and Eve. Next Saturday... I'm going to have Dr. Doug Petrovich on the show. We'll be discussing the recent archaeological evidence showing that both Moses and Joseph were real people, not not fictional characters and fictional stories. Today, my guest is paleontologist Dr. Marcus Ross. We're going to be talking about how the fossil record supports the biblical historical record. Before I bring him on, let me just tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Ross is an associate professor of geology and assistant director of the Center for Creation Studies at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. He earned a BS in Earth Science from Pennsylvania State University, an MS in Paleontology from the South Dakota School of Mines, I believe it is, and Technology, and a PhD in Environmental Science, Geosciences from the University of Rhode Island. Dr. Ross, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for the invite, Kevin. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you were recently a part of um, the movie Is Genesis History? That's a, a pretty cool uh, thing that you got to be a part of. Uh, the movie did really well in the theaters. It was only in the theaters for a day, but it did fantastic. And um, how did you end up getting involved with uh, that movie? Well, let's see. Uh, a couple of years ago, I received uh, an email and a request to talk uh, from the producer, Tom, um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Tom uh, Thomas. Uh, we'll look oh, his boy. name up. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, That's Thomas, right. And uh, what really impressed me about Thomas's approach was that um, as he asked me for resources and things to start reading and get himself caught up on paleontology, hmm. uh, he asked me what textbooks I used or you know what I could read, and I gave him a, a list of things. And uh, very quickly he came back saying, okay, I've read through this stuff. I, I need to talk to you more about these things. And um, I was really impressed because I'm handing them, you know, the sorts of things like college textbooks that I use with my students uh, at Liberty University, and he reads them. Um, you know, some of my students don't do that, yeah. uh, that type of thing, and they're <laughs> having right. tests. So um, I was really impressed uh, with Thomas Purfoy's uh, dedication, and I knew that he was doing that not just with me, but with, you know, a, you know, a dozen or more of, of other people that were telling him uh, things that he needed to know in order to start putting together this documentary. So, you know, his, his uh, zeal and his tenacity uh, were very, very impressive, something that I hadn't really seen before from somebody uh, in production media, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, I was so excited when um, I found out the movie was coming out. And uh, it was kind of kept up under wraps for a long time. Um, and then all of a sudden, boom, there it was. And uh, how was it working with uh, Dr. Uh, Tackett, Dr. Del Tackett, and the other uh, scientists? It, it was really, really nice. I was fortunate enough to actually film on two different occasions uh, with Dr. Tackett. Uh, we first filmed in the South Dakota Badlands and in the Black Hills. Uh, but due to some uh, equipment choices, they didn't kind of like how those takes went. 
Uh, so we, I got to go again, and this is what you see in the film, uh, where Dr. Tackett and I are walking through uh, Natural History Museum uh, out in Tennessee. And uh, so I think I got a chance to probably interact a little bit more with uh, Dr. Tackett than some of the other uh, folks on, on the movie. And he's a fascinating, fascinating individual who's seen so much in his life uh, and, and is really just zealous for God. He just is passionate about uh, presenting the truth of the gospel to people. Yeah, for our listeners who don't know, Dr. Tackett um, is the one who uh, helped produce the Truth Project, which was uh, worldwide, uh, a huge uh, project that they undertook. And I actually got to interview him on the radio not too long ago. Uh, that was a big blessing. But uh, Dr. Ross, um, how did you end up getting interested in paleontology? Uh, most kids don't start off going, hey, you know what, I want to dig up bones when I get older. Uh, what turned you on to that? Well, um, probably the one thing that does interest uh, most kids, and that is dinosaurs. That's and, true. Uh, when That's I was true. a small boy, <laughs> uh, you know, coming across dinosaurs in, um, in books and uh, records and things like that as I was uh, a small child, it just captivated me and absolutely fascinated me. And um, I was also uh, growing up within a home where I was brought up in uh, Christian faith. Uh, my mom is a, a Christian, so am I and my sister. My dad is a agnostic uh, and remains that way today. Uh, but at the same time, our, our faith was always fostered, and our walk with Christ was always encouraged. And so as a, as a young kid, I, I started very early on recognizing that there were uh, two different approaches that were being taken to Earth history, that the pages of the Bible uh, were not matching up with the sorts of uh, dinosaur books that I was reading as a kid. Hmm. And so um, it, it surprised me then, uh, but as I watch my own children and their growth and their development now, it, it doesn't surprise me as much that um, I started to recognize those differences and started trying to think about ways in which um, you, know, you can harmonize those in some way. And so even though I didn't know the theological terms like gap theory or day age or evolutionary creation or any ideas like that or young earth creation, um, I was thinking through uh, how do you put dinosaurs and the Bible together? They're all part of the world. They're all part of what God has made and has done. And I came to the conclusion pretty early on that the Bible was intending to tell us that God created the world in six days like the days that we experience, and that those days were not uh, millions of years ago, but they were only thousands of years ago. And so the dinosaur books have got to be mistaken when they say that the dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago or that the Jurassic was 150 million years ago. Yeah, now for a, for a long time people have uh, really struggled with this because um, you know, the popular culture has just uh, continually said dinosaurs went extinct uh, millions of years ago. But with films like Is Genesis History and all the effort that has been put forth uh, by uh, ministries like the one... Now, you're, are you a part of Creation Ministries International? Is that correct? Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, I, I teach at Liberty University, and uh, I'm now the director of the Center for Creation Studies, which is uh, an academic center within the university. Uh, and, and though I don't work, say, with Creation Ministries International or Answers in Genesis or in the Institute for Creation Research, um, I've worked alongside them on projects and videos and things like that. So uh, we have a great working relationship at Liberty University with the other Creation Ministries, uh, but we're a separate entity unto ourselves. If people want to find out more about what you do and the research you've done, um, where can they find that information out? Um, well, let's see. Uh, one thing they could do is if they type into a, uh, a search engine, Marcus Ross Liberty University, then the, the first 
uh, link that will hopefully come up will be my faculty uh, website, and they can find out some of the um, uh, some of the publications and some of the activities that I've been doing. Uh, another thing for them to check out actually would be uh, the Facebook page for uh, Cornerstone Educational Supply. Uh, a couple of years ago, my wife and I, uh, who homeschool our kids, uh, started up a, a business on the side to provide rock, mineral, and fossil kits and other science materials for uh, homeschool and Christian school and, and anybody else uh, who might be interested in them. And so I have occasional uh, blog posts and things like that on dinosaurs, on birds, on uh, interesting bits in the news uh, about that. So it's kind of a, a company slash opportunity to uh, write about some creation topics for me. Okay, very cool. Um, so I'm interested in knowing what, what from paleontology, you know, like you said, there's two different viewpoints. There's, hey, the, the strata in the earth and all the bones in the earth give evidence for you know millions and millions of years or if not billions of years of history uh, versus the creation account which says that essentially um, there was a flood about 44 4500 years ago that killed everything off and you ended up with the fossil record created that way um, as it pertains to dinosaurs and so forth what evidence do we have from dinosaurs in the fossil record that for you makes you go, yes, it's obvious the biblical record is the, is the right uh, hypothesis here? Well, that's a very good question. Um, you know, one of the, the things that's featured in the uh, movie is Genesis History is a visit out to the dinosaur uh, excavation site run by Dr. Art Chadwick. Uh, he's at Southwestern Adventist University, and he's been working on this uh, dinosaur dig site uh, for probably over 20 years now. And there are 10,000 duck-billed dinosaurs that are represented by uh, hundreds of thousands of individual bones uh, in this huge area that was very obviously a, a catastrophic deposit. Uh, my old age colleagues would say that it was probably a catastrophic deposit, but it was just a single event rather than part of something like Noah's flood. Mm. Uh, but I think that something like that is tied into what's going on with Noah's flood um, as a whole. The more that we look at geology, the more that we see that individual places where uh, different fossil species are uh, preserved yeah. look like catastrophic events. Very uh, interesting. They look like entire ecosystems that are, that are destroyed. So my guest today is Dr. Marcus Ross. He's a paleontologist, and we're looking at evidence from the fossil record that there really was a worldwide flood and that uh, the strata don't, don't represent uh, millions of years, but only thousands of years of Earth history. So we're going to be right back, and we're going to talk about these duck-billed dinosaurs and uh, other dinosaurs, too, and what evidence, uh, what the evidence supports, the Bible or evolutionary time frame. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. 
What do leading local restaurants have in common? They depend on Express Fix Coffee for new and used coffee and espresso machines, repairs, and affordable monthly service. Dave Martin and his local team provide water filtration services too. Call San Diego's best espresso repair company, serving your home and business. Learn more online at expressfixcoffee.com. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. 619-867-3853. How can you live in San Diego and miss out on enjoying the water? Fast Lane Kayaking sells popular Hobie Cat kayaks that you pedal, not paddle. That means your hands are left free for fishing and fun. Just throw these on your roof rack. They're light and they're easy to use and maintain. Just rinse them off. Try one free on a demo ride. For 36 years, Ron and Debbie Lane have served San Diego with fun, family-friendly water sports of all kinds. Learn more. FastLaneSailing.com. 619-222-0766. When you need tires or service, count on Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside for a full range of affordable options in all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers online. Hours Tuesday through Friday, 730 to 530, and Saturdays, 730 to 5. Call Dan and his team at 760-439-1631. Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard in Oceanside, 760-439-1631. I will cast my cares on you. You're the anchor of my hope, the only one who's in control. Thanks for listening today. This is Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website is educateforlife.org. You can pick up a recording of this program if you'd like it, if you'd like to share it with a friend. And uh, if you've got some friends that are skeptics about uh, creationism or creation science or... um, you know, dinosaurs going extinct recently, not millions of years ago. Uh, you can check out our website. We're on iTunes, too, and YouTube and everything else. My guest today is Dr. Marcus Ross. He's a paleontologist at Liberty University, where he's also a, a professor there. And uh, he was v- recently involved with the movie Is Genesis History? And uh, they talked to him about these sorts of things. And uh, Dr. Ross, when we left off from the break, you said that um, there are about 10,000 duckbilled dinosaurs in uh, in this one deposit here, this excavation site, that's, that's an incredible amount of uh, dinosaurs. Is that something that's kind of an anomaly, or do you find these around the world? Do you find um, these kind of large fossil graveyards? Well, the one that uh, Dr. Chadwick is uh, excavating out in Wyoming with the 10,000 is, is huge. That's a really, really big unit out there. Uh, but we can trace ourselves along uh, the American West and a few other places. Dinosaur National Park, uh, which is uh, on the border between Utah and Colorado, has likewise got thousands of, of different dinosaurs that are buried and deposited in uh, rock units that are exposed uh, in that area. Uh, we can go to places um, oh, like in Kansas where there are big marine reptiles that I studied for my Ph.D. called mosasaurs, and there are probably thousands upon thousands of mosasaurs in some of the rocks uh, out over there. And so, uh, yeah, we, we find that there are sometimes these event beds, uh, as we call them in geology, where we've got uh, something like this going on. Um, in other cases, we just uh, are fortunate enough to have lots of exposed rocks of a particular area that have a lot of fossils in them. Uh, so sometimes, especially when we're thinking about a um, terrestrial group of herding animals like these big duck-billed dinosaurs, they would have been traveling together and walking together, then um, you know, Noah's flood comes through and, and wipes them all out together. 
In other cases, you've got animals that are uh, more isolated, uh, especially in the marine realm. You don't always have animals that are all together, um, but uh, sometimes you do. So uh, it, it's a bit complex because Noah's flood is not uh, a simple affair. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Now, what you said mosasaurs, um, I'm not real familiar with that dinosaur. You said that's a marine dinosaur, is that correct? Yeah, so mosasaurs are actually lizards, uh, so we can think of them kind of like, uh, if your listeners imagine for a moment, close their eyes and think of a Komodo dragon, and uh, instead of arms and legs, put flippers on it instead, uh, then toss them out into the ocean and let them grow anywhere from about 10 to over 50 feet in length. Oh my goodness. Uh, these were absolutely, yeah, exactly, this is a big lizard, and unlike dinosaurs, uh, mosasaurs were true lizards, they really were in that uh, broader family or, or order um, of reptiles, whereas dinosaurs um, are a different group altogether. They don't share very many similarities with, with lizards. What, what is the difference uh, so the marine... between a, a lizard and a dinosaur? Ah. Okay, uh, good question. Let, let's first think of what's the difference between, say, a lizard and a crocodile. Mm. So when you think of a lizard, uh, they're typically a little smaller. Um, their scales are different from crocodiles. Like when you look at crocodiles, you see those big kind of plate-like scales going down their back. Yeah. And lizards generally have more pebbly scales or even snakes that have scales that overlap one another a little bit to help them move smoothly. There's, uh, for geologists and, and for uh, anatomists and biologists, you can tell a lot of differences in the skulls between those two big groups. And when we look at dinosaurs and compare them, we find that the dinosaurs have more physical similarities to things like crocodiles and alligators than they do to any of the, the lizards uh, that are out there, your geckos and your monitor lizards and uh, Gila monsters, things like that. So uh, in addition with things like dinosaurs, uh, dinosaurs walked with their legs directly underneath them. So even more different than things like crocodiles and alligators, they walked um, upright uh, in a sense with their legs right underneath their body. And that's mm. very efficient for, for moving around, uh, as we certainly know, because we're able to do the same thing. Uh, so when we look at dinosaurs and we try and classify them and compare them to other types of animals, uh, they come out a little bit closer to crocodilians. Um, they have some similarities to birds as well, at least some of them do. Um, but they're pretty distinct from lizards. You wouldn't be able to let a lizard grow for 200 years and end up with a T-Rex. Oh, would interesting. would be a really, really big lizard. So that, so that was a, kind of one of my next questions, which was, um, you know, I, as I understand it, um, one of the arguments for why dinosaurs got so big was the very fact that they could live so long based on biblical records that, that people lived longer in the past. Uh, other animals also lived longer in the past, and therefore certain animals which uh, d didn't have a limit on necessarily how big they would grow because they got to live so long, they would grow a lot bigger. Is that, is that accurate? Um, honestly, I'd say probably not, um, because when we look at something like lizards and crocodiles, even though they do continue growing throughout the, their life, yeah. um, that growth rate slows down considerably. Okay. So uh, if we uh, took a, a modern crocodile and let it live for 300 years, let's just say, um, it would grow to be pretty large, but uh, if it was a, a, a Nile crocodile, something like that, it probably still wouldn't get any bigger than 20 feet. Uh, just because over time, that growth rate doesn't stay constant. It, it slows. Um, so we also have a, a slight concern about saying that the other animals were living just as long as humans were. Mm. We don't know that from Scripture, so we have sure. to remember that that's an inference 
uh, from or an extrapolation from Scripture rather than anything that's specifically stated. Okay. It could be that we lived long precisely because we were made in the image of God, and there was something about that that God wanted us to to live uh, initially um, a very, very long time, or even immortally before the fall. So from a paleontology uh, perspective, you know, we, we look at uh, certain animals in the fossil record, and you see what look, look like uh, animals that are similar to animals we have today, but they are a lot bigger. Um, like uh, y- you have a rhinoceratoid that's, uh, you know, huge, or you have uh, fossils of, uh, that they found of, you know, kangaroos or uh, other mm-hmm. animals that seem to be very similar to what we have today. They're just uh, much bigger. Um, how, how would you explain that from a, a biblical paleontology scientific perspective? Oh, good question. Um, you know, some uh, we, we get fascinated by the things that are really big. Yeah. I mean, that's part of what got me interested in dinosaurs as a kid. Is these are, they're, you know, they're huge. They're monstrous. Um, the average size of a dinosaur, though, is actually about the size of a uh, American bison, uh, or you know, about the size of a rhino. So uh, dinosaurs, as a whole, could get very large, but many of them were also pretty small. Mm. And the same thing goes with some of the animals that we have around today that have, say, ice age uh, mammal relatives. Yeah. Um, the woolly mammoth, we think, you know, it's it's huge. We even use the word mammoth to describe how big something is. Um, and the woolly mammoth was uh, probably about the same size as a modern-day African elephant. It, it wasn't any larger than that. Um, and likewise with the mastodon, it's uh, we don't have anything that's kind of uh, Lord of the Rings only font size yeah. <laughs> uh, in, the, uh, in the fossil record. Yeah. Um, also, um, but we do have examples of animals that are much larger than their contemporaries. Uh, there is a centipede species that is um, six feet long, and uh, that's terrifying. Yeah, that's absolutely. I wouldn't. Terrifying. I wouldn't let my kids play in the backyard if, if that they still existed. You know. <laughs> oh no, no, it, it's horrible. Uh, just the uh, I know over at the university, or not university, the um, field museum in Chicago has got a, a, a mock-up of one of those things, and it's it's creepy. Um, there were dragonflies or dragonfly-like types of creatures that had a wingspan of nearly two feet from one end of the wings to the other. And, and praise the Lord, they're, they're not with us anymore. Yeah. They're, they're dead. <laughs> um, and, and that's a good thing. Um, but even things like uh, trilobites, the cute little kind of underwater bugs that uh, people can collect and find, the biggest of those um, is no bigger than the biggest of the crabs uh, that we have alive today. In fact, uh, you know, Alaskan king crab um, is overall probably a little bit bigger than even the largest of the trilobites. So there are some evidences that we have some things that were really big in the past, but not so, you know, not monstrous uh, in size uh, for the most part. Okay. Only monstrous because we're used to thinking of something much smaller. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So my guest today is Dr. Marcus Ross. He's at Liberty University. He's a paleontologist. And uh, he was recently involved with the movie Is Genesis History and uh, got to talk about the evidence from the fossil record that supports... Uh, Genesis as history, not as a mythical tale. We're going to continue to have this conversation. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Before I bring my need, I will bring my heart. 
Hi, this is Kevin Conover. Will you please donate to Educate for Life so we can share the truth of God's word with kids in public schools? You can donate online at donatetoefl.org. The Bible used to be read in public schools on a regular basis prior to the 1960s. But today, most kids are completely clueless when it comes to the content and the historical and scientific accuracy of the Bible. Please help us by donating online at donatetoefl.org. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teachings. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. Hi, I'm Marissa Conover, and I would love to help you buy or sell your home. I've worked as a realtor for more than 13 years, and as a San Diego native, my passion and experience will help make your move as peaceful as can be. Call me at 619-251-1577. That's 619-251-1577. Or visit Conover this is throughout all ages ministry with joe and stacy we would like to equip you to share the gospel with confidence in a biblical and effective way we would like to teach you through the proclamation of the gospel whether you're the skeptic god who created you said that he has made himself known to you so that you are without excuse one-on-one evangelism how do you think you can get to heaven never really thought about it but i've always thought of you know doing good for more information go throughout all ages.com like us on facebook or visit us at youtube at throughout all ages i'm giving it all away no more hiding no more stalling i hear you calling me thanks for tuning in to educate for life i'm your host kevin conover my website's educateforlife.org if you want to pick up a recording of this show i also have tons of classes online, uh, homeschool classes and so forth that you can check out there. You can watch them on your phone or your iPad or your computer. They've got quizzes and uh, follow-along notes and tests and so forth. Answers all kinds of questions regarding the historical uh, accuracy of the Bible, the scientific foresight of the Bible, and uh, also deals with all kinds of uh, pop culture questions and and things that we have to deal with as Christians and read the Bible and understand how to uh, approach these different issues like abortion or homosexuality or these sorts of things. So uh, please check that out if you, if you get a chance, and uh, I'd love to hear from you. My guest today is Dr. Marcus Ross, and um, Dr. Ross, you, you we were talking when we left off the last segment about animals in the fossil record and the, the size of the animals. I wanted to just uh, ask one more question. So as it pertains to animals that are bigger than what we would normally expect, um, your answer to that would be, uh, these are animals that used to exist, but they've gone extinct, generally speaking. They're not animals that are, are they animals that are related to animals that we have today? Like, you know, you have the bivalves that are huge uh, that you see in museums, or you have mm-hmm. like the super croc that's like supposedly grew up to 40 feet long. Uh, how would you respond to that that issue? Yeah, some of, some of them are uh, very close relatives of the things that we have uh, today. Some of them are uh, a little bit more, uh, distant, uh, probably not part of the same created kind. Okay. So in thinking about that for your listeners, uh, one thing that creation paleontologists and creation biologists are very interested in right now uh, is how do we identify and define 
the kinds of animals that God created. What level uh, does that belong to? So if we look at uh, all the finches in the world, uh, are all the finches part of a single created kind Mm. that diversified after Noah's uh, ark landed and he released the birds and the other animals? So when we're thinking of some of these uh, big creatures like the super croc uh, that you mentioned, um, that would be up to paleontologists like me to try and evaluate uh, whether or not the super croc fits into um, one of the existing living families that's here today, and whether or not its record in the rocks uh, indicates that it was alive um, after the flood was done, or if all of the fossils of it uh, were, are only recovered in the, in the flood rocks. So, for example, we don't have any uh, fossils of dinosaurs, at least that I've um, recognized, uh, that are found in rocks that I think are formed after the flood is done. So it looks like dinosaurs died out pretty quick um, after uh, any of them were brought on board the ark and didn't really have a chance to reestablish themselves. Um, So the the pursuit of trying to discover and identify these created kinds uh, will play into um, our understanding as to whether or not some of these big critters are just big versions of what we have around today or whether they reflected a a different kind that had been created. Okay, and so... And, and when we're referring to kinds, uh, what, we're, what we're trying to figure out is where do you draw the line between one kind of animal versus another? And, and as it relates to biology today, uh, we're talking about... Um, so w- one of the questions that relates to this that, that comes up a lot is, you know, is species the same thing as kind? And how do we have a discussion with somebody who's not a creationist in regards to these issues because they don't use the word kinds, generally speaking. Uh, does that yeah. make sense, what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because uh, for creationists, one of the things that we're interested in are what are the groups of animals that God created when he said in Genesis 1, for example, that he created um, all the creeping things according to their kinds, or all the livestock according to their kinds, or all the birds according to their various kinds. These are the sorts of terms that the Bible is using. And... And he said that they were going to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So it seems like reproduction is an important thing that helps us identify what groups of animals are part of one creation by God as opposed to animals that are part of a different creation by God, even on the same day. So if we look at birds today, uh, we recognize that the hawks and the sparrows are just very different types of animals. Uh, There's nothing very similar about them besides the fact that they are birds. Mm. So a creation biologist might be looking at the sparrows and maybe some other similar types of birds and say, based on the way that they breed with each other, uh, we can connect a bunch of the species. So we were accustomed to thinking about biology in terms of species, but the creationist is asking, is there a real unit that's actually bigger than the species that might have several species in them? So if we think about sparrows, we've got the European uh, sparrow, we've got a a variety of other ones. If it can be shown that those sparrows can interbreed with one another and produce little baby sparrows, then maybe that tells us that they are part of the same created kind. Mm. But a sparrow and a hawk uh, can't reproduce and create a a spock or something like that uh, out of the two of them. And so that lack of ability to... Uh, breed together and produce offspring might tell us where the boundaries are, or at least some of the boundaries between those kinds. So species is is essentially uh, making uh, more fine delineations 
uh, between animals, whereas kind is a, a broader than species. Is, is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. Within the kind, there are likely going to be several different species uh, for different groups of animals. Uh, amongst the vertebrate animals like mammals and uh, birds and reptiles, the biological level called family seems to be pretty close to what we think the biblical kind is. It might not be exactly there, but it seems to be pretty close. And so uh, when we think of um, a species that usually has two names to it, like our, our own species is Homo sapiens. Homo is the genus name. Sapiens is the species name. Uh, our dogs are part of Canis familiaris. So if we think about the dogs as a kind, we've got our, our house dogs and our domestic dogs, but there are other members of the genus Canis, like the wolf um, or uh, the coyote. Uh, and then there's other members within the, can uh, the canid family, the dog family, like a couple of different species of wolf, uh, wolves or uh, foxes. So um, through understanding their uh, mating abilities to produce offspring, to looking at their physical similarities or dissimilarities in their skeletons or behaviors, uh, creation geologists are thinking uh, and creation biologists are thinking that maybe the dog family represents a kind that God created and was brought on the ark by Noah later on, and all the species of dogs, all the different species of dogs that we have in the world today are uh, animals that have specialized since the flood was over and done. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Now, um, I wanted to ask you about the fossil record in regards to, uh, you know, generally speaking, if you, if you look at evolutionary uh, theory, they're going to say, uh, you know, the farther you go down in the earth, the farther in the earth's strata, the you get down to creatures that are less and less evolved. <clears throat> so then, the higher you go in the strata, you get to uh, people at the top, and there's you know dinosaurs in there, and and so forth and so on. So in your experience, as you as a paleontologist, and you're looking at this this strata and so forth, um, how would you argue uh, that uh, that this fits a creation hypothesis where the the fossil records made by the flood versus um, an evolutionary uh, thesis that says, no, this is, uh, you know, the sequence of evolution from, from bottom to top. What, what do you see in the yeah, fossil record? It's, it's a good question, and it's not an easy one to, to uh, respond with an answer, um, just in part because it's a complicated situation. The first thing that your uh, listeners need to, to know is that there is an order uh, to the fossil record. We, we do, in fact, have organisms that are rather different from anything we have alive today, mostly down towards the bottom, and most of the stuff that's at the bottom are marine animals, uh, and especially marine invertebrates, little shelled types of creatures like the trilobites or Dr. Ross, I'm sorry. I, I, uh, I asked you that question. Oh. I know the answer is long. I asked you, it to you right when we're coming right. up here on a break, so we're going to have to uh, the, stay over to the break here. So, um, Oh, no problem at all. Okay, thank you. So uh, if you're listening, we're answering this question about the strata and the, and the fossil record with Dr. Marcus Ross. We're going to be right back, and we'll continue that discussion. Hi, this
This is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teachings. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. This is Throughout All Ages Ministry with Joe and Stacy. We would like to equip you to share the gospel with confidence in a biblical and effective way. We would like to teach you through the proclamation of the gospel. Whether you're the skeptic, God who created you said that he has made himself known to you so that you are without excuse. One-on-one evangelism. How do you think you can get to heaven? I've never really thought about it, but I've always just thought of, you know, doing good. For more information, go to throughoutallages.com, like us on Facebook, or visit us at YouTube at Throughout All Ages. When you need tires or service, count on Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside for a full range of affordable options in all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers online. Hours Tuesday through Friday, 7.30 to 5.30, and Saturdays, 7.30 to 5. Call Dan and his team at 760-439-1631. Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard in Oceanside, 760-439-1631. Do you have one-button espresso machines in your home or business? They make delicious coffee drinks, but they're not maintenance-free. Express Fix Coffee is San Diego's source for coffee and espresso machine repair, sales, and service. Call Dave Martin at Express Fix Coffee for new and used espresso machines, repairs, parts, and accessories. They'll save you time and money. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. Learn more at ExpressFixCoffee.com. There's got to be more than going back and forth from doing right to doing wrong. Because we were taught that's who we are. Thanks for tuning in to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website is Educate for Life, and I appreciate you being here today on this uh, Sharing Your Saturday with us. And uh, my guest today is Dr. Marcus Ross, and we are examining the fossil record and what it tells us about Earth history, about where we came from and, uh, you know, what happened in the past. So uh, he is a creationist. He's at Liberty University. He's a creation scientist and a paleontologist. And uh, Dr. Ross, we left off talking about how um, uh, you said that this is a complex question as far as, you know, when we look at the strata in the Earth, uh, which does it support? Does it support the flood hypothesis that the fossil record was created by the flood, or does it support the evolutionary theory that um, this is... uh, the, the progress of evolution from, from bottom to top. And uh, can you pick up where you left off? Sure. So we start off saying that uh, we have to recognize that there is an order to the fossil record, that we don't have just a, a jumbled mess of everything, every place. Instead, there is an order where generally we, we have um, invertebrate, uh, shelly types of marine creatures on the bottom. And as we go higher and higher up through our layers of strata, through our layers of rock, uh, we come into uh, amphibians and reptiles and eventually uh, dinosaurs and other creatures, and then we get into mammals, and up at the top are uh, the sorts of animals that we're most familiar with, uh, the things that we have kind of around with us here today. And so uh, from a young earth creation standpoint, uh, this had been surprising in, in the history of geology because people were expecting that Noah's flood would make a jumbled mess of things. Mm. 
But our experience with floods is with, honestly, very small ones. Uh, you know, rivers that overflood their banks uh, and cause havoc for people, uh, flash floods, things like that, none of which actually model NOAA's flood particularly well. And what NOAA's flood is doing is uh, largely, as God lays it out in Genesis uh, chapter 6, that he says that he's going to destroy the earth with the earth, uh, that he's going to use the planet, in a sense, uh, to destroy itself. And as the flood waters begin to cover the earth, they start doing so by uh, taking these deep water marine environments and burying them. And as more and more uh, water covers more and more parts of the earth, then you get different ecosystems becoming transitional towards land, uh, more on land, and so on and so forth. And those different ecosystems end up getting piled vertically to make these so those are the sorts of things that we see as a pattern. It, it looks to me, as I step back and look at the whole thing, that um, the flood is burying animals from the marine record earlier than the terrestrial record uh, later on. And uh, so the flood is telling me about uh, the order in which things are being destroyed over the course of the, the flood's year, not a, a record of uh, hundreds of millions of years of evolution and development over time. Okay. So, so from a creationist perspective, what you're what we're essentially, the explanation is um, that it's basically the world is being buried from the bottom up, and naturally you would see uh, smaller marine creatures on the bottom and then what seem to be higher-level vertebrates on the top. Is that, is that correct? That, yeah, that's correct. If you think about it today, you wouldn't expect to find um, fossil remains of human beings mixed together with deep-water uh, crabs and fish and things like that out in the open ocean because we don't live in anywhere near the same kinds of environments. And so uh, given that that's going to be the same truth in the pre-flood world, you're not going to find T-Rex and trilobite fossils together because T-Rex lives in a terrestrial environment and the trilobites are living in these uh, underwater marine worlds. Uh, so I wouldn't anticipate them being found together in any sort of way. But what's interesting is that um... I was looking into this. The Kentucky State fossil is a, is a brachiopod, and they mm -hmm. have these clamshells. And even here, I'm in Southern California in San Diego. If you go out into our desert, there are all kinds of um, shells, like fossilized shells. So, and then, you know, we do, um, there are places where you have marine and uh, land fossils. And like you even said, the mosasaur is a marine uh, dinosaur, or I can't, you said lizard or dinosaur. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, and yeah, it's buried uh, pretty far inland. So it is. So is this evidence yeah, for the so, flood? So Would you argue that that's was, evidence for the flood? Yeah, I, I think that it is because the you know the world's oceans are being pushed further and further into you know what is now certainly land, and at the time of the flood uh, was at least partially covered. Uh, as, as land with water uh, at that time. It is kind of interesting when you think, and we show kind of a map in the movie of where these marine mosasaurs are found, and they're all found in land-based exposures of rock from South Dakota to Wyoming to uh, Kansas to Alabama. California has got a, a good mosasaur record as well, uh, and it's all in kind of the hills and the mountains. Now, those hills and mountains were formed actually by the flood, uh, the rocks start off kind of flat and then got crumpled and, and crunched. Um, but, yeah, we, we have good evidence that water covered the entire planet 
uh, at various points of, of time in the rock layers. And uh, the Cretaceous that has things like the dinosaurs and the mosasaurs is probably representing really the peak or, or ending phases uh, of Noah's flood. Okay. And then um, how would an evolutionist explain the, the fact that you find all these um, marine fossils, you know, pretty far inland uh, in different, uh, you know, continents and so forth? Sure. So for uh, my evolutionary and my old age colleagues, they're going to argue that um, uh, the continent at the time uh, was uh, depressed or kind of pulled downward uh, because of certain plate tectonic types of things, which we don't need to get into here. But uh, they do have certain mechanisms by which parts of the continents can be kind of drawn further down and ocean waters can be higher. Now, in their model, they don't have the world completely covered with water at any one time. And so we do see some differences uh, in, in terms of how much water covers the world uh, in their models versus ours. But they, they do have um, ideas about how many times, for example, uh, we had very, very high standing water that covered lots of the continents for long periods of time. So they have a, a couple of reasons why they think the ocean could have been on land, but it's a different set of um, mechanisms uh, than uh, what Noah's flood advocates like myself would have. So, so is this kind of a point that we have to just agree to disagree, or is there actual evidence that would sway a person one way or another? Because they have their theory, and we have our theory, and is it kind of like, well, you know, you, know, you choose which paradigm you want to go with, or, or, or does the evidence sway us? Right. Certainly as a scientist, I hope that the evidence can sway us. Um, you know, I don't want to look at uh, creation and evolution as kind of a, science and postmodernism sort of thing where you've got your view and I've got mine and we can all be happy that we have our own views. Mm. Ultimately, we have to remember that there's just one single history to this world. And hopefully that that history is uh, at least in part discoverable to us using science. Uh, but when we've got testimony from God's word about some of the events that happened, if we recognize that God is telling us about historical events, then it's important that we use those historical events to bracket our theories in some way, uh, to put some parameters around them so that we don't go off into the wrong area, so we don't make uh, hypotheses that are going to be incorrect, even if they seem convincing. And I think that's where we are kind of with uh, evolutionary theory and with old Earth ideas, is that they seem quite reasonable and they seem like they could be correct, but ultimately they're not. They're off by a little bit, and that's where we see some of these anomalies keep popping up, uh, in the ways that we might interpret the rock record. They're close, but there's a few other things that I think uh, that a, a global flood is able to explain in addition to all the things that uh, the older theory is already explaining. Hmm. My guest today is Dr. Marcus Ross. He's a paleontologist at Liberty University. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk a, a little bit more, uh, kind of uh, finish this subject off, talk a little bit more about the anomalies that he's referring to uh, in paleontology that actually give us reason to believe that the uh, flood hypothesis and the creation hypothesis uh, as outlined in the biblical record is the more plausible uh, theory to go with. We'll be right back.
For 36 years, Fastlane Kayaking has helped people like you experience everything that's great about San Diego. Fastlane makes fishing and water sports fun and easy. Hobie Cat kayaks feature a popular pedal system, not paddles, keeping your hands free as you fish. You no longer need to tow and gas up a boat to experience great San Diego fishing. Call or come in for your no-charge demo ride. 619-222-0766. Fastlanesailing.com. At Dana Landing Marine. Across from SeaWorld, 619-222-0766. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teachings. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. Hi, I'm Marissa Conover, and I would love to help you buy or sell your home. I've worked as a realtor for more than 13 years, and as a San Diego native, my passion and experience will help make your move as peaceful as can be. Call me at 619-251-1577. That's 619-251-1577. Or visit conoverhomes.com. I will cast my cares on you. You're the anchor of my hope, the only one who's in control. I will cast my Welcome back to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website's educateforlife.org. Thanks for listening today. My guest today is Dr. Marcus Ross, and uh, he was recently involved with Is Genesis History, a great resource if you want to check it out. They have, uh, I believe, uh, this is going to be on DVD and everything. It was in the movie theaters. And um, talks all about how Genesis is actual history. It's not a fictional story. It's not made up. The time frames are all accurate and gives the evidence for that. So um, Dr. Ross, uh, one of the things from paleontology, of course, uh, with dinosaurs, out in Arizona, um, there's a huge... uh, amount of dinosaur tracks. I think it's the largest one in North America. Um, it's on an Indian reservation, and it's just sitting out there, uh, and people can go and, and check it out. And, and um, the question is, uh, how do these dinosaur tracks uh, get there from a biblical uh, flood theory? And if you're an evolutionist, how do you explain dinosaur tracks still being there from 65 million years ago? I- I'm just curious to hear the the differing views on this. Sure. So um, obviously, if if you've got an animal that's walking across kind of a a muddy, sandy beach, uh, they'll be able to weave some trackways. Uh, And our normal experience is that these trackways don't last very long because waves come in and destroy them if they're walking along the beach or something like that. And so for an animal like a dinosaur to weave a set of trackways uh, that are going to be preserved means that the next layer of sediment, the next layer of sand or mud, that will cover over this stuff uh, has got to be laid down quite quickly and it's got to protect them from the action of waves and other sorts of things that would then destroy them, which is, you know, the normal experience that we have with these. So uh, for both the young earth creationists and the evolutionists, we, we both recognize that in order for trackways to form, uh, you've got to have a track maker and then you've got to quickly cover and protect those tracks. Now in a flood scenario, this makes quite a bit of sense because 
the flood is not going to just rise continuously. There's going to be kind of pulses. And every once in a while, there'll be little bits of land that are exposed. So some of the animals that are still alive are trying to escape the flood are leaving trackways. And then the next you know, wave of the flood kind of comes in and buries those trackways. So when you, say, survive when you say pulses, when you say pulses, what you're referring to is almost like um, a gradual tide increase that you would see at a beach where, is, is that what you're talking about, that the waters are slowly covering the continents? Is that, is that well, what's happening? Well, um, sort of. Uh, you'll, you'll certainly have kind of tides going on, but um, let's say that there's a big tsunami uh, that happens due to an under, underwater earthquake. Okay. So the dinosaurs were walking along the sandy beach. They left their trackways, and then a tsunami wave comes in, and tsunami waves carry a lot of dirt and, and sel- uh, sand and sediment, and that stuff will then cover over those trackways uh, and protect them from the rest of the waves uh, that are coming in afterwards. That tsunami might also, uh, you know, get those dinosaurs and pick them up and bury them uh, and typically bury them back somewhere above where the trackways were left. So, so if these, the if these things that we see, if these footprints oh, in Arizona are, you know, I mean, there's there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. So mm-hmm. can you paint a picture for our listeners? Uh, what would be the scenario here you, of these dinosaurs in Arizona uh, and all these footprints can you what what's the uh, time frames here uh, uh the historical yeah i would say that um you know during noah's flood the time frame might be um hours to a day or two between uh when they were walking around and leaving these track sites uh to when those uh track sites are covered uh and then the dinosaurs are, are later uh captured by uh the rising uh tides the waves uh the tsunamis uh that are coming in and so sometimes you see uh, an offset between the tracks and the track makers. And that makes sense from a biblical standpoint, because if there isn't much time between when the animals were walking and making the tracks, and then their bodies are found somewhere in the rocks above, then you say, okay, there was only a few hours. But if you're looking from an old earth perspective, uh, there might be something like several hundred million, uh, several hundred thousand years or a couple millions of years in between the tracks and the track makers. And that doesn't make very much sense at all, because if you can, if you can possibly preserve trackways, which are hard to do, they're very delicate, mm. um, bones and teeth and shells are much easier to preserve. So you should have the remains of the animal's bones um, below, next to, and with the tracks if the earth is ancient. But if the earth is young and we're experiencing a global flood, then finding trackways below, meaning before, you find the bodies makes a lot of sense. The animals are running away and escaping, their trackways are buried, and then moments later, hours later, they are being buried as well. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So what this tells us about the fossil record sometimes is that there's no time, uh, even though my old age colleagues might infer there to be hundreds of thousands of years or millions of years between some of the layers, there, there really isn't. There's no time between the tracks that are made and the animals that are captured and destroyed. That makes sense. Okay, and then and then the big one that's come up recently is uh, that people are finding soft tissue in dinosaur bones. Uh, can you speak to that? Yeah, and, and not just preserved t- soft tissue like the imprint of a muscle, but actually uh, the physical remains of, uh, say, something like a Tyrannosaurus. Uh, tyrannosaurus femur discovered by Dr. Mary Schweitzer in, uh, and published in 2005. Uh, she identified still intact branching blood vessels uh, probably little blood, uh, blood cells in them, 
Uh, later on, she discovered a, a duck-billed dinosaur bone that also had these blood vessels. It also had intact cells, bone-forming cells. And you could, you could grab these things with a pair of tweezers and kind of pull them, and they would stretch and snap back into place just like um, a vein or artery would do today. So uh, Schweitzer and now additional scientists are discovering that the fossil record is actually somewhat rich in these unmineralized, still preserved soft tissues, original soft tissues in things like uh, the leg bones and the arm bones of dinosaurs. Now, if, if you think that the earth is uh, millions or billions of years old and these dinosaurs are tens of millions of years old, you have a real problem in identifying how these things could possibly be preserved for that long because just normal chemistry breaks everything down in fairly short order. Uh, it, it's surprising enough that they would be preserved for, you know, four or 5,000 years in a creation viewpoint. Mm -hmm. It's far less likely uh, far to the point of, of nigh impossible that these things could be preserved for 66 or 80 million years of time. Now, I've heard that Mary Schweitzer is uh, evolutionist. Uh, how do you continue to hold on to your evolutionary paradigm with that kind of evidence? Mm -hmm. Well, Mary Schweitzer certainly uh, is an evolutionist. She believes that the Earth is ancient. And to her credit, she has been trying to work on um, discovering a chemistry that would preserve these materials for very, very long periods of time. Um, I don't think that she solved that, uh, but she is convinced by things like radioactive decay, uh, which obviously we don't have time to talk about today, but uh, the radioactive decay dates that we use in geology, she's convinced that those are reliable. And therefore, if there is soft tissue in these dinosaurs, which she believes because she discovered it, um, then there has to be some sort of chemistry that can preserve them. And so she's on the hunt uh, to discover what that chemistry is. So she's being a consistent scientist, and she's being a very good scientist as well. She's confronted with a problem and looking for what the solution is. Yeah. Uh, I happen to think that the solution is an abandonment of the long ages, not uh, a search for a chemistry uh, that might preserve them for tens of millions of years. Mm. Dr. Ross, thank you so much for being on the program uh, with us today. I really appreciate it and everything you're doing, and, uh, and it's just been fantastic. Thank you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the chance to speak to you and, and speak to your listeners today. Absolutely. And if people want to uh, get in touch with you, they can just uh, type your name in for, uh, li at Liberty University, right? Uh, that's right. They'll find me there, or you can find me through Cornerstone Educational Supply at, uh, on the web. Fantastic. Okay, so um, we've, we've covered a lot of ground um, the last few weekends. Um, on Saturdays, I've had uh, Dr. Uh, Petrovich uh, is coming up next week. Had uh, Dr. Carter on last week and uh, Dr. Ross on this week. So uh, check us out on iTunes or YouTube. And uh, thanks for joining us this Saturday. I hope you uh, can see that you can trust the Bible. Its record is historical. It's not fictional. It's not a fairy tale. And you can put your hope and trust in the Word of God. Thanks for being here, and I hope you have a fantastic Saturday. Did you miss part of today's program? Don't worry, we're committed to helping you get the info you need. Okay, that was dumb. But for real, visit EducateForLife.com for podcasts and video recordings of the show and to sign up for the School of Unshakable Faith. Leave us your comments, compliments, questions, or concerns at 800-243-9719 or email KevCon at EducateForLife.com. That's K-E-V-C-O-N at EducateForLife.com. You will always be much more to me. Every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right, but that's alright.
Cause I 